like I am um, <laughs> getting loads of baggage up here with my whiteboard and everything. But hey, we're here. We've arrived. I hope you are doing all right on Zoom. I know it's a bit weird. I know it's difficult to focus. And that's not helpful because this is a complex passage, quite frankly, is the honest truth. Um, but we're going to do our absolute best to, um, to make some sense of it today. And I promise, having spent the last like, week looking at this passage, it may not make sense at the start. But if you persist and if you f- follow what I'm saying and follow what it says, you will understand it. I promise you actually can understand this and it does make sense. But the Lord is here. The Lord is here and he's with you wherever you are. Uh, and he is, I think, moving this evening. I think he's uh, in, moving in hearts this evening. Uh, and I just want to ask, if you are encountering Jesus, then don't be afraid to throw yourself upon his grace, throw yourself upon his love, and throw yourself upon his power to save you. Because it is real, it's powerful, and it can transform lives. So uh, go for it. Go for it. Wholeheartedly. Right, thank you so much, Abby, for reading. Um, we are in Hebrews. We started it last week. I don't really know where to look. I, is it this one? Safe. Okay, cool. Um, uh, we started in Hebrews last week, and Nicola kicked us off. The whole first section of Hebrews, as Nicola expra- explained uh, last week, is the author making a case for Jesus that compares him and contrasts him to all these characters through the Old Testament. Uh, and shows how he is bigger, better, uh, or the fulfillment of those people. Uh, So he is like the ultimate of whatever those characters are that they're bringing up. And today we're in chapters 3 and 4, or particularly end of chapter 3 here. Uh, And the author is comparing Jesus to Moses and Joshua, who are the historic leaders of Israel. But not only that, because not only is the author contrasting Jesus with Moses and Joshua, he or she is also contrasting uh, the readers of this text with the historic people of God. And the readers of this text right now are us. So contrasting Jesus with Moses and and Joshua and contrasting ourselves with the ancient people of God, the Israelites, and how does he do this? Right. Uh, the, the, am I on the right thing? Yeah, I am. It's fine. Um, the author does this by telling a story, this, uh, retelling a story. It's the story of Israel and their move from Egypt, where they were enslaved. Through, they get freed from Egypt by God's miracles. They walk through the wilderness, and God takes them on this journey, and he promises that on the far side of this journey, there is a promised land where they will find rest. And rest is the key word here because the author refers to the promised land or the promise as rest. So whenever you hear rest, think God's coming promise. So he says, you're going to find rest. So they've left, they've been, been freed, they walk through the desert. The Lord has miraculously provided for them as they walk through the desert. And then they're going to come to this promised rest. So here we go. Uh, you can cut to this camera if you want. I hope this is helpful have this here. We're going to have our little, our little Israelite man. Hello. 
and he is on the way to rest. So he's on this journey to rest. And this is the whole story of Israel on the way to rest. Now, the author tells us the progression of the thoughts and attitudes of the Israelites as they travel through this wilderness, which is a desert. It's literally a desert, but it's also spiritually kind of a desert. Uh, And he says that they go through this progression, and it's in verses 12 and 13. So we're going to read those really quickly. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have this sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you, that camera, right, thanks, Sam, um, that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Okay, there's a few things here. Firstly, what is the down, we're going to look at the negatives first. See that none of you has a sinful heart. Starts at sin. Then end of verse 13, it says this. So none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So sin not only is bad in itself, but sin has a deceitfulness. So I'm going to write deceit. Sin into deceit. And then it goes on. Uh, the author, and he says, not only does it deceive you, but that deceit, if it's left unchecked and keeps on going round and round in a circle, actually leads to, this, leads to this process of hardening. A hardness starts to form. I'm just going to write hard heart. So here's our, our Israelites, and they're going through this progression of sin to deceit to hard heart. That's all the end of verse 13. And it says ultimately, end of verse 12, uh, that they will, t- or an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So eventually it ends up with turning away. This is the progression of sin. Uh, we see Israelites sin, deceit, hard heart, turning away. And it might not be clear immediately, I'm going to go to this one, there you go. It might not be clear immediately uh, what it is, uh, how it is that you see yourself in this passage. But I think if we look for just a second at this, you're going to be able to pick up and see yourself going through this as well. The sad story, the sad story that we're looking at of Israel. Because the first one's sin. And we all, we all understand this. We all understand this. Rebellion, wrongdoing, it's also referred to disobedience, this is called in this passage. Doing something wrong that we know isn't right or good. And every one of us knows exactly what that's like. We compromise on our morals and ethics in order to gain something that we think is either going to feel good or help us in the long run. But we compromise on our own morals to get it. And more to the point, we compromise on God's ethics, God's morals in order to get that thing. That is sin. We know what this is. We've all got a personal experience of this. But the author doesn't stop there. He says this leads to deceit because sin deceives us. It lies to us. And it tries to convince us that something is not true that is true. What does it lie about? I think we've all experienced this. When we sin and we know God, there's an immediate worry. 
takes hold sometimes, that is embedded in your heart, and you immediately, once you've sinned, you know you've sinned, you sort of feel this horribleness, and your reaction is, oh my gosh, I can't go towards God. And born inside of you is a worry, is like an anxiety that comes out, and it's like, I can't go to my father, for whatever reason. And this deceit, I believe it's, 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 it's sin trying to convince you that either God doesn't care about you very much, like he doesn't like you very much, um, so ultimately, it's, it's, it's like saying, uh, I don't want to go to someone who's not, not going to like me. Actually, sin's telling you God doesn't like you very much. Or maybe it's saying God's not able to turn your life around when you're in this point already. So there's two lies here. One is God's uh, character, I'm going to say. Ability. We start to doubt God's character and God's ability. And when we feel that feeling, that shame, that embarrassment of the sin that we have, when we think about that in the context of God, that is called shame. We experience shame. And not only that, the author continues. He says, not only does it stop in deceit, it carries on. There's another step here, and you get this hardening experience. And I'm sure that we actually probably all relate to this as well. Imagine if you have a friend, for example who um, you have a falling out with, uh, you, uh, you, you have a fight with them, and you, it's really awkward at that point. And for the next little while, the next uh, week or two, you essentially try and avoid that friend. And it's always the case that when you've had a fight with a friend, inevitably that same week you, you are on a street and you see them on the same street and they are walking towards you. And your reaction there is always... I've got to run. I've got to hide. And what do we do? We cross over the street. We pretend we haven't seen them, firstly. We cross over the street to the other side to avoid them. And then we get very intent and look very intensely at shop windows that we don't really care about in order to convince them that we haven't seen them because we want to avoid them. We're trying to hide. But what happens if that continues and continues and continues? I think it's a very human and normal thing. And I th- I've experienced it. We've all experienced it. We've seen it hundreds of times. That if that continues and continues, and they believe, you believe that that friend does not like you, then eventually you snap. And you get angry. And you start saying things to yourself. Well, if they're not going to like me, then you know what? I'm not even going to try. If they're not going to like me, then they can deal with it. I'm going to live my life. And they're just going to have to get over it. And you know what? Eventually we can become, if we we keep going down this path, downright mean to that person. We can start um, telling stories about them in our heads that make us feel better about how horrible they are. Uh, We can gossip about them to friends behind their back to make us feel better. And this process, that turning point of anger, frustration towards that person, and a refusal to change our own ways in order that we're just going to put our stake in the ground and live my own life and they can't say anything about it. That is a process of hardening. The Bible calls that having, gaining a hard heart, a hard heart. And that's what happens to the Israelites with Jesus. And eventually, that leads to just, quite simply, a turning away from what God is promising. A turning away from what God is promising. Do you see the progression there? Starts off with sin. Immediately, there is the lie that enters you that says, actually, God is, either doesn't like you anymore or he's not able to turn your life around. So you avoid and you're 
filled with shame. And if, if that continues and that isn't addressed, then actually, eventually, they'll become this point where you say, actually, Lord, I reject you. I reject you if you've rejected me, which is a lie. And we get this hard heart, and eventually that will lead to turning away from God. And if you don't know the story of the Israelites, what happens is they go through this uh, wilderness. They've seen all these incredible miracles that God's brought them through. And, uh, and, uh, and he brings them right to the very brink of the promised land. And he says, go into the land. I will give you the land. I'll give you the victory. Have no fear. And they see these tribes and people in the land who look strong and everything. And they are terrified. And immediately their, their reaction is, there's no way. There is no way that we can enter this land. There's no way God is strong enough to give us the victory. And the only other option from that point is to wander around in this in-between land between the promise of God and their previous captives. They're just stuck in the desert. And they all die. There. And that is the story. This is, that's why I said it was a sad story. It is a sad story. But we see ourselves, we should, the author wants us to see ourselves in this progression. Okay. What just happened? There's something funny going on. Oh, it's that one. Um, turn, if you turn off vocal three, that'll help. Thanks, man. Uh, sorry, sound issues. What is the solution? Help us, Lord. Because <laughs> this is a very depressing story that I've just told. And, uh, and the Bible's not all doom and gloom. We know that. So, Stephen, what is happening? Okay, let's go back to what Hebrews says. I'm going to read exactly the same passage, passage again, except we're going to look at the positives this time. From verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily. As long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. There are some real... This is the solution already. The author is giving us the solution as he's presented the problem. I'm going to just break this down really quickly. Firstly, verse 12, the first phrase, see to it. See to it. What's the opposite of see to it? Don't see to it. So when he says see to it, it means if you just wander around and don't care, you're going to end up going this way. If you wander around and don't care, this is what will happen. There's no other option. So he says, see to it. But we're going to go a different way right now. Here we go. Another arrow. And I'm just going to nickname this intent. Because we need an intent. We need to care. We need to be intentional about where we're going. Don't just sit by and let your life float past you without intervening, wondering, you know, just sort of letting it float past you and you not being an active participant. Don't let your relationship with God just carry on as you wander through life and hope that it'll get somewhere. It doesn't work. That's what happens then. We need an intent about how we're going to approach this. See to it, says the author of Hebrews. Secondly, encourage one another daily. 
encourage one another daily. I'm going to say, be encouraged. Be encouraged. And I just always am amazed at the contrast between shame that always takes place in an isolated space and be encouraged that requires you to be surrounded by people who believe in Jesus. It requires you to be surrounded by people who, who know Jesus. It says in uh, Hebrews 12.1, because we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, then we can throw off the sin that entangles. It's because of this, because of our commitment to one another, that we're able to carry on on this road that actually leads to real rest, I'll say. Okay, next up, so we've got uh, intent. We've got being encouraged and encouraging one another. Next we have, sorry, my notes are a bit of a mess. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. There's a couple of things here I'm going to say. Remember. And I'm going to say, hold on. Why remember? Because what are we holding on to? We're holding on to our original conviction. And we have to remember the time. Remember, cast your mind back to the time that you encountered Jesus. And you were sure, not just in your feelings, but in your heart, in your soul, and your intellect, that the Lord was powerful to save. That his love was overflowing for you. That's your original conviction. Now hold on to it firmly. And it says firmly to the very end. The reason we relate to this so strongly is because they're in a wilderness here between slavery and the coming of God's promise. And here we are standing in the faith that Jesus will fulfill his promises. We're in that same wilderness between being set free by the victory of Jesus and also waiting and longing for his promise to come to pass. And so the author says, hold on, hold on. Through the darkest days, the greatest times of despair, as well as the times of joy that we'll experience in this world. Never give up. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to the hope of his promise. And then I want to mention this last one because this is possibly the most important one. It says today, as it has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And I want you to, to know that it is your right as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, to never experience this. You don't have to ever experience any of this. Sin's power breaks at the name of Jesus. Why does it break? Because deceit says God's character is in doubt and God's ability is in doubt. God doesn't like you. God can't do anything for you. This says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Every moment, every hour, every day, we hear again through people, through remembering, by being intentional with it, that God does care 
and God has power to transform a situation. And therefore, deceit cannot enter in, and sin cannot lie to us if we believe the truth. It cannot lie to us. And so we go from sin straight back to being intentional, on the way to the promised rest that God's going to bring. We never see deceit. We never see a hard heart. We never see a turning away as Christians if we're intentional and we remember. And we regularly, that's why it says today, that's why it says in the Bible, God's mercies are new every morning. It's because every moment, every day, we come back. We come back from sin and we say, this isn't true. This isn't true. I can follow the Lord. He knows me. He loves me. He's promised that. And not only that, but he has gone to a cross for me. I'm going to finish by just saying this. Because the funny thing about this, I should write that down, actually. Um, Again and again, I'm going to say. Again and again. Moment by moment, day by day. The funny thing is, the Israelites, I know I said earlier, they all died in the wilderness. That's not all true. The truth is, only the generation of fearful, faithless people died. But from that point, 40 years later, Joshua was raised up to bring the Israelites fully into God's promised rest. So through death, the Israelites came into rest. God can bring us into his promise. If he's promised it, it's going to happen. But the way there for the Israelites is through death. The ticket to get back to this path, back to this rest, is death. Now you might be thinking, well that's a bit awkward because if I were to go from here to here and die... I'm not going to have much living to do on the other side. But that, that, that is why Jesus came. That is why Jesus is greater than Moses or Joshua. Sin will always make us doubt that God cares. It will make us doubt that God is able. But as we look at the cross and the body of a man bleeding for us, it is not possible to say that God does not care. When you hear the testimony of the many that have seen and experienced the risen Jesus, you cannot say that God, who came through death and walked out, straight away from the other side, that God is not able. And if we fix our eyes on that, hold on with intent to that, remind ourselves when these lies creep in to that, they will never, ever get a hold on you. Sin is with us till heaven. But my goodness, does it have no consequence anymore. Let's pray. Let's pray. I'm gonna, John's going to come up and join me.